table and we discuss the films you'll never discuss in a film studies course we are working our way through our musical marathon um there were other words with the letter m somewhere in the this. good trash musical review the good trash musical review that's yeah. what it was um and we're doing this in the last we don't ever expect you to remember the names of the marathons no i don't ever yeah no, yeah no that's not what you're here for you struggle to remember your own name no, I, time. my name is todd and i know that <laughs> thanks todd let's oh, get this going and so i tell you what the hardest thing about hosting a podcast with somebody uh, with early stage dementia <laughs> <laughs> just getting them to remember what the fuck movie we're going to talk about is Gramps. 10 second Todd over here. All right, here we go. So <laughs> we are talking about the Edgar Wright extravaganza baby driver this week, and we're very, very excited to do that. And you might have noticed a uh, slightly feminine giggle on the microphone, so I want to go the, right And it wasn't me. Oh, it, it wasn't wait, me. It, yeah, it wasn't. It, wasn't. It, it usually is me. <laughs> and so as we identify the disembodied voices, we have a, uh, a return that we're very, very excited about. So ma'am, um, tell the dear listener who you are. Hi, my my name is Alexander Bohannon, and don't feed me any more lines from Monsters, Inc. It pisses me off. That's excellent, <laughs> and I will try to avoid that in the future. Um, thank you very much. We're so glad to have Alex hey, back on the yeah, show. Yeah, I'm week. glad to be here. It's She's, fun shit. Yeah, you're here. a big fan of the Baby Driver, so we'll oh, say yeah. more about that here in a little bit. Um, sir, who are you on the right of the couch thing? Futon. This is a couch, not a futon. It is a futon. It, oh, it is a it's futon. It's a very, very sophisticated futon. Yeah. Oh. This little back thing lays down. It's pretty nice. So, t- yeah, this, this isn't your college this is where futon. I run the doghouse. This, <laughs> this is the good trash furniture cast. and <laughs> hit a little Good trash cool. guy, Ikea cast. <laughs> Can we start an interior design podcast? Yes. Do we have time? Sure. Also, how sure. does that work when it's a visual medium? Oh, yeah. There'd be a lot of show notes. Mm. <laughs> it's a bad idea. It's a bad idea. Blueprints and... <laughs> Hey, anyway, man. I am Arthur Gordon, and when this podcast is done, I'll be buying Maseratis and feeding my wife catfish dipped in gold. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> I'm sure you will. Um, I, I see that in your future for sure. Sir, who are you? My name is Dalton Stewart, and if you want your money back, chase me. Chase me. There you go. My name is Dustin Sells and Dalton. That's the kids' menu. And uh, so I just <laughs> want to make sure you How do you think I maintain this girlish figure? Is that... <laughs> All those kitty cheeseburgers. Oh, that's, that's right. That's what it's got to be. That junior wacky cheeseburger. Pack. That wacky pack. He just does it for the toy. We all know better. Um, well, and if you uh, you ask for a wacky pack from uh, Damien, he'll hook you up. There you go. Um, good to know. you got to do like a, the right amount of winks. Mm. So if you're turning into the good trash genre cast for the very first time, a little <laughs> warning uh, might be in store for you. Um, and that is that this is not a review show. Oh, no. It is an analysis show. And that means we will be spoiling the film in question. It is only a year old in this particular case. So spoilers um, can be something of a factor. But what we do is provide you with a brief reprieve from any of that spoilerage. And the way in which we do that is Arthur Gordon gives us a synopsis as the voice of the cinema. Then we do a quick thumbs up, thumbs 
down review, just if we like the movie or not, what we like about it. And then we play a game, which might involve mild spoilers of this film or other films in its orbit. This week, you're safe. Um, but then once we get down to business and there'll be a uh, excellent little uh, musical kick to let you know that that's happening, uh, we are um, in spoiler territory. So, therefore, you have been warned. All right. Um, uh, you're looking at me. Fine. I was trying to think of a uh, pun since uh, this is a car-related movie. I was trying to think of a spoiler pun, but it's fine. Oh, about spoilers? spoilers. Yeah, something, something. Spoiler. Yeah, Sur- superfluous and not really important. Yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> so, Arthur, voice of the cinema. Let's go ahead and hear that synopsis, please. After being coerced into working for a crime boss, a young getaway driver finds himself taking part in a heist doomed. To fail. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 I feel like that undercuts a lot of the yeah, movies. Yeah. I mean, considering like... <laughs> I, there's so much shit that happens. <laughs> well, look, if you've seen a heist movie, you know there's going to be a one last job gone wrong. That's that's how heist movies work. Except that's just 11. Well, that's true. Except, it really, yeah, except for any Soderbergh heist movie. <laughs> they always go off without a hitch. Yep. So, okay, well, there you go. You kind of know exactly uh, what we're dealing with anyway when we're dealing with a thing like Baby Driver. I'm going to go to Alex first and <gasps> thumbs up, thumbs down review because I know you're such a big fan of this film. I am. So, obviously, you like Baby Driver. Can you tell us uh, a little bit as to why? Yeah, so I um, – Edgar Wright is probably one of my favorite modern directors. Um, I've fell in love with the Cornetto trilogy. I've fell in love with Space. I've watched all of those films many, many different times. And I just – one thing that I really love about him, and this is more of like, I can't tell you why, the, you know, I, I can tell you why my personal taste palette is Edgar Wright. And in, in terms of like, he he can cut like from camp to serious and go back to camp. You can have the feels, but you can also have like the comedy. And that's like one of my favorite things. The tone him. management spot on. Absolutely. Yeah. 10 out of 10. Yeah. And so he, he's able to blend all of these genres that and genres and types of feels of a film that in it, like hands of a person that wasn't very good at it could be just like a clusterfuck, but he does it so well that I just, you just can't stop watching. And whenever I, you know, he's making this new film, Baby Driver, and I, I was not prepared for that movie. I saw it in Dolby, and I nice. was so enamored of it. I was just like, and I was working out of state, uh, out of the area at the time, and I'm like, okay, the only other time I can see it again in Dolby is if I go at like 11 p.m. again today. So I saw it twice in Dolby on the same day. And it just it blew my mind both times. I love those Dolby theaters, man. Yes, absolutely. It's honestly, my new favorite way to watch a movie after yeah. uh, I think it was the first thing I saw in a Dolby theater. Yes. Yeah, I love them. They're great. Yeah, and I mean, being so visually and um, visually emotionally, and of course, um, musically and just sonically overall. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the film, it's just fantastic experience. I, I really particularly like Baby Driver because it really the it is the it's the music the music drives the film and i'm a sucker for music and especially like soundtracks and scores and for this one to be so integral to it to the point where we're putting you're putting together this marathon that's like movie musicals um and which i know we're gonna get into later a little bit um it just seeing that all together with the campy and serious blend of tones i don't know it pushes all my buttons yeah and i it's hard for me to find fault with it really Alrighty, well, thank you very much for that, Miss Alexander Bohannon. Hey, Dalton, did you like Baby Driver? And tell me why. I do like Baby Driver quite a bit. Uh, look, I cannot think of a movie from last year or even the last couple of years that has 
an opening 20 minutes that is this electrifying. Mm-hmm. I mean, just the first, you know, the first act, first 20 minutes of this film is just so fun and just really sets up this world in, in ways that are, are really spectacular. It is unfortunate to me, that being said, that the whole movie does not have the momentum of the first 20 minutes of this film. Uh, all of Edgar Wright's films, the, the editing, there, there's such a, a, a music video sensibility. There, there is a musicality to the way he cuts things that I really appreciate. Uh, and, and Baby Driver has that. Um, but it does feel like the central conceit of babies need to have music going constantly does start to fall away by about the halfway point of this film. Now, it comes back for sure, uh, especially in the last, you know, half hour. But there does feel to be a midpoint in this film where it gets so busy advancing the plot um, and, you know, letting you know a little bit more about the characters that it does forget about this central conceit. And it kind of loses the the jukebox musical uh, flair that it has in the early and latter parts of the film. Uh, And that's that's a disappointment for me. Uh, That said, I do like the film quite a bit. Uh, I wonder if it's shallow, and I think we'll get there in analysis. Uh, I think we'll find some things to talk about, but uh, especially when you talk about Edgar Wright's uh, Cornetto trilogy and even Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, those are four films that I think are rich in subtext. Uh, I mean, the Cornetto trilogy kind of just traces, you know, three arcs of uh, adulthood, right? From early adulthood to mid-adulthood to your late 30s going into you know, like firmly between adulthood and middle age, right? And that trilogy of films just is so rich in what it has to say about growing up and being a person and trying to grow and learn more about yourself. Uh, And Scott Pilgrim engages with, um, you know, early 20s angst and ennui and um, just that general sense of uh, wanderment, uh, wanderlust. That's a better way to put it. Uh, That It is disappointing, disappointing to me that Baby Driver doesn't quite feel like it has more of that. Um, Which isn't to say, again, that the film is bad. The film is fantastic. It's just the characters all kind of feel like heist movie archetypes more than they feel like characters. Yeah, I was actually going to talk about that some in analysis. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. Again, and we'll talk about that more as we get further into the show. And, uh, you know, there's plenty of movies that, I mean, just a couple weeks ago, I went to bat for Across the Universe for having characters that are just archetypes. And sometimes archetypes make your film work better than fully realized characters depending on what kind of story you're trying to tell Mm -hmm. and i think for the most part those archetypes work really well here um it's just that the movie wants me to be invested in baby so much that i often i feel torn as to how attached i am to him and deborah but overall i think the movie is just a damn good bit of fun and it was one of the most uh delightful times i had in the theater uh, last year when it came out um i'm excited to I have a question for you when we get to you, Dustin, but uh, those are my thoughts on it. All righty. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Arthur Gordon, do you like Baby Driver? And tell me why. I do. I like it quite a bit. Uh, Like Alex, I'm a big fan of Edgar Wright. I I like all of his work uh, and that kind of fun, kinetic frenzy that he brings to his films. I greatly appreciate that. And I do agree with Dalton. I do think it does start to lag there after about 30 minutes, but it picks back up in that final really probably 40 minutes, when they really gets into that last heist and you know, when they're setting the groundwork for that heist. The setup of the last heist. You're absolutely yeah. right. Uh, it really comes back to that, I think. But uh, I, I, I appreciate everything kind of goes in there. And it feels kind of like a fit. I mean, 
it, it has that kind of 50s rebel without a cause type thing going for it. And I think it, it, it it's playing with some of those same ideas. Yeah, it's like what if a 50s rebel without a cause movie and a 70s car movie were the same movie, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I got to say the casting here of Jamie Foxx is money. Uh, he is a brilliant villain. Uh, he's ice cold. Uh, and he... Uh, he really seems like a dangerous individual. Um, I like the arc that John Hamm takes because John Hamm really does have this kind of. He's very likable. I mean, yeah, he's a crook, but he's like most, you know, he's John Hamm. Yeah. He's John Hamm. And, and to see his arc play out is very fascinating. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, and so I, I, I love the casting. And Elliot Gonzalez as his, uh, his, his, the Bonnie to his Clyde. Yeah. I think they're great together. Yeah, yeah uh, they're electric. I'm not sure of his name, but. Uh, the the stepdad or the foster uh, father. Yeah, I can't. I don't know his name either. But uh, uh, there's an interv- there's an interview with him that I saw right when this movie came out that was really cool. Just yeah. talking about being a deaf actor yeah. and talking about the way that the film engages with uh, his lack of hearing yeah. and and tries to you know remind the audience that uh, hey, uh, just because you're hearing impaired doesn't mean you can't kick it out to some good tunes. Yeah, and so uh, everybody here's great. Um, I don't know that. Ansel is it Ansel? Ansel. Ansel. Uh, his delivery is always great, but I don't think it has to be because of where the music's picking up and and his interaction with the music is is spot on and the, the kind of dance numbers he's doing and uh, just going to town with the bell bottoms. He's having a great time. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, and so I, I like all that. The car chases are beautiful. And, mm. uh, my really only probably fault with this film, I, I'm pretty positive all the way across the board. I, I don't know that I love the epilogue, and we might go into that a little oh, later. Oh, yeah. That's um, a thing. I, I don't love that, and we might get into that uh, as we get into analysis. But overall, yeah, I'm a, I'm a pretty big fan of Baby Driver. Well, Dustin, I, I have a question for you, because now it's your turn to tell us what you think about Baby Driver. Yes. This was uh, one of the most critically well-received uh, studio films of last year. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a pretty big financial hit. Um, why is this good trash? Why is this not something that would end up in a film studies course? Yeah, I and, and it, I guess if if somebody's teaching a class on Edgar Wright, you or, know, in the next twenty or years, editing or action editing. movies, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, but in general, I, I I could see this film being used, especially like an undergrad, like intro to film course. You have something about editing, you have something about sound mixing, and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And and as an instructor, you might want to use a piece of this for that. But I think really the, the, why it's not going to make it into like something like a canon. Is um, I think it's just washed in with too much of the stuff, you know. I mean, it's it's definitely a good film. It's a lot of fun, but it yeah, I don't I don't really see it um, making that same sort of uh, critical wave. It's got the it's got the professional critic, like the newspaper critic, uh, kind of positive glow to it, but it doesn't have the same sort of uh, academic critical wave, nor the the sort of again canon formation kind of uh, criticism going along with it and so I, I i would i would think other edward wright movies would come out ahead of this and probably other you know sound editing movies might come out ahead of this as well you know in terms of just choices one might make uh in film studies um uh, but that being said i like it a lot i mean i think it's a lot of fun i really really enjoyed it i liked it because of how much i like david lynch and i want to say this because i think this is the, the, okay yeah take me there i'm ready right, well the, the 50s nostalgia thing is obviously there yeah and the use of the dime there and uh, Lily, what is her last name? Lily James. Lily James, who plays Deborah, has a really striking Shelley Winters kind of look to her from Twin Peaks. Okay, yeah, feel and, it. And 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 so there, there's a weird way in which it's sort of Bobby to Shelley, to yeah. the sort of Bonnie and Clyde um, story that they're working towards. And so I really like that aesthetic. And I'd also love the way in which David Lynch pays so much attention to sound design. This is a film that doesn't just have music. This is a film that's edited to music. 
this is a film in which the the sonic soundscape of the film is just as important as the visual um, landscape um, that you might be seeing. And so that usage of all of those things together in tandem is, is just really, really integrated uh, visual sonic uh, filmmaking, and that makes it a lot of fun. More than uh, – because if, if it was simply just a heist movie and he listened to music, it, 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 it could be a much more bland film. Yeah, I mean every – time there's music in the film it's you know whether it's a gunshot or a brake squealing whatever it is it usually is cut to the music yeah quite effectively yeah and so that that really provides that extra sort of uh, avenue of interest for me that um otherwise a movie like this would be like well it's fun you know it's not bad but there's got to be more going on there's got to be a little bit more meat on the bone and it this definitely provides that extra meat on the bone at least in terms of its formal aspects and we'll talk more about whether or not it's thin or uh, whatnot when we get down to analysis here in a little while but uh there you go dear listener those are our biases towards the film we like it so our biases are generally pro towards the baby driver. So now comes the part of the show where Dalton tells you how you could be part of the conversation as well via those magical means we know as social media. Dalton, say the words. I will do those things that you have asked me to do, Dustin. Dear listener, if you want to be part of this excitement, if you want to engage with us in some capacity, uh, probably the best way to do that is going to be on Twitter. We're on Twitter at good underscore trash. That is how you get in touch with us, not just for this show, but all the content we're making here at Good Trash Media. Uh, whether it's this show or you want to know more info about the praise down with Heath and Alex, uh, you want to know about shows we used to do or plans we have for the future or you have uh, suggestions for movies, whatever. Or you want to talk to us about how you don't think we talked enough about that Kevin Spacey is gross. Yeah, he's gross. That that goes in a box. We don't really want to talk about it. Uh Oh, we're going to talk about it. Okay, well, we'll talk later about that Kevin Spacey is gross. Um, whatever it is, we're on Twitter at gun underscore trash. Uh, if you want to get on touch with us, in touch with us on Facebook, don't. Delete it. We're on there. Uh, we don't even use it that often. Uh, Zuckerberg is going to steal your DNA. Uh, you don't want any part of that madness. Moving on. Uh, if you want to uh, really support us in a way that's super easy and takes very little commitment from you, you can uh, rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, however you put podcasts in your ear. That is a huge help to us if you would remember to do that. If you've got long-form feedback for us, that's going to be GoodTrashGenreCast at gmail.com. And finally, if you want to help keep the lights on, uh, you can do that on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash GTM. We have info for you there about uh, how you can help us and uh, what kind of cool stuff we'll give you if you do that. Um, finally, uh, we don't advertise the show. We wouldn't know how to do it even if we wanted to. So uh, if this is something that means a lot to you, uh, tell somebody that likes podcasts uh, or, I don't know, tell somebody that doesn't like podcasts but likes movies a lot. Uh, or tell somebody that doesn't like podcasts, doesn't like movies, but it likes these nerds. Well, I don't know why they would feel that way, but yeah, if you do, I, I, I guess if you if, if you, you know somebody that knows us that doesn't listen to this show, if you like uh, the sound of dulcet tones as much as Dalton likes his own, uh, it's <laughs> the show for you. Yeah, that, there's a reason that I do this corner yeah. of the show. Well, yeah. yeah, I know. Oh, I know you know. Uh, that's it. That's all I got. I think I'm done. Woo, right, wow, well, it's a record. Thank you for all of that, and I'm glad you're done because it's time to play the game. It might feel good, it might sound a little something, but damn the game, if it don't mean nothing, what is game, who got game, where's the game in life, behind the game, behind the game, I got game, she got game, we got game, they got game, he got game, it might feel good, it might sound a little something, but fuck the game, if it ain't saying nothing, yeah. <laughs> and we are back.
finally. Um, we had a long, interesting conversation about Andre the Giant, but now we're here to play the game, which is our killer uh, driving playlist. As John Hamm so wisely points out, everybody's got a killer track. We're going to talk about ours. Alrighty, um, you didn't quite do your Barker voice on that one. You're, you're right, I didn't. Give me. <clears throat> uh, that's right, our favorite killer tracks brought to you by a baby driver, a baby driver. That baby sure can drive. Wow, look at those peaks. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, Sorry really, about your ears just yeah, now, it guys. Really, really hits the levels hard, doesn't <laughs> well, it? They're not giving us the Patreon now, are they? No, nope. they're too deaf. To just, just, show. just cost, just cost us a lot of money. You start writing show notes for this. <laughs> yeah, like turn it down when. Um, so there you go. We're going to just pick songs that we like to drive to. It's going to be interesting. I'm excited to hear what my co-hosts have to say. I'm going to go to you first, Alex, if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, let's hear your number first pick. Number first meaning like the... There's, there's no logic there to it. There is no logic, rhyme, he make, or reason. He makes it as confusing as he possibly can. I do this, yes, because All right. it entertains me. Um, one of my favorite driving tracks, uh, courtesy of uh, the Guardians 2 soundtrack and living uh, in a hotel for four months and this being on the lobby all the time is sweets fox on the run because that song fox on the run yeah it's uh it's pretty great and uh yeah just kind of bust over like a rural highway out somewhere just you know it's like that scene in uh, ferris bueller where the the guys that steal um hit the car they they're yep. popping right over that highway but yeah that's kind of the that's kind of one of my jam out tracks both of those Guardian movies, much like Baby Driver, have dope soundtracks. Absolutely, 110%. Very true. Absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. All right, thank you very much for that. What do you say, uh, Mr. Arthur Gordon, for your first pick? Uh, my first pick is going to be a uh, Sweet Emotion by Aerosmith. Ooh. Uh, coming in with that kind of slow groove and building it up yeah. throughout the song. Uh, I really dig it, especially kind of in high school and uh, my younger years. That was one I really enjoyed uh, listening to because it, it's just got a great sound. Uh, great uh, composition uh, and some great uh, guitar music, and so uh, it's fun. I, I, I like that one. It's a good track. All righty, Mr. Dalton Stewart, what is your number first pick? Uh, this is one of my uh, killer tracks that has had the most longevity in my life. I feel like for a lot of people, your one of your first killer tracks is probably going to find you right as you're uh, get first getting behind the wheel of a car. Uh, and for me, that was Eagles of Death Metal's Don't Speak, I Came to Make a Bang. Uh, which is just <laughs> such a good. Oh yeah, Who are you? Let me just laugh at you. Oh my god, it's <laughs> the, the name of the song. I didn't You're write validating it. Validating you. Uh, it's great. It, it is a great driving way too fast song um, with lines like, I'm never in a hurry. I'm just moving fast. Uh, it's got a great drum beat to it. It's got some great guitar licks. Um, and uh, I love those weird boys. Um, and uh, yeah, they're, they're fabulous. If you want to learn a little bit more about the Eagles of Death Metal, there's a great HBO doc about their return to uh, the venue in Paris where uh, they were very nearly killed yes. uh, and saw Whoa. a lot of their fans get shot. Oh, yeah. that. Oh, that. They played at that show. Yep, they played yeah. at that show, Shit. and they went back, um, I think, before the end of that year or just within a couple of months. And uh, there's an HBO documentary about it. There's a live album recorded at that show. Um, a, a band that uh, has a, love, a, life, a long-lived history in the, uh, the Death Valley music scene uh, coming up with... Uh, um, Oh, got Queens of the Stone Age and sharing uh, a couple of members with Queens of the Stone Age. Just a fun band that makes a uh, real late 70s style rock and roll. All righty. Very, very good. Um, now, I am going to make a pick, and this is where, you know, I don't talk about music a lot and what I listen to, and I'm, you know, I'm pretty eclectic in my Yeah, you like life. your uh, your folk uh, mainstream gospel music, right? Um, <laughs> this, I, I, Jesus is my friend. 
<laughs> I gather with the comrades sometimes, and there's a lot of folk music one must have to endure uh, in certain situations like that. And there's folk music I like, but that's not what I'm picking. I'm picking a little death metal. And, Heck yeah. Uh, and I listen to a lot of death metal. And I listen absolutely unironically to Death Clock. I love Death Clock so much. Mermaid. That's Death Clock with a K. With a K. And Mermaider is just fun. I am the angriest now, and it's just good times. I mean, it's it's sort of a joke band, but yeah. I, I could put on... This um, is the band from uh, Adult Swim's Megalopolis, yes. for listeners who might not know. And uh, so, yeah, put me on some Mermaider, and I am all about that. That's so amazing. I love me some Death Clock. So there you go. Number first, number next, Miss Alexandra Bohannon. Well, my next pick, uh, man, I I had some death metal, you know, but I, I have to uh, give a big shout out to X Gonna Give It To You by DMX. Oh, nice. That's... That's the business. Go hard. This yeah. dog bite back. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, that's probably one. I mean, it's also one of my favorite workout songs. They're just songs that uh, just transcend all occasions whenever you want to go go fast and uh, go hard and, and go home. And when you, when you want to feel like this rap shit is it's mine. mine. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think there's a, a real crossover between workout music and driving music. As oh, well. absolutely. Oh, yeah. For sure. So no I doubt. Just, no doubt. I'm, I'm not in uh, worry of getting a speeding ticket at the gym though so yeah also yeah that. the lead foot happens when you're really into a song <laughs> yeah it does yes. uh, i was listening to some of my killer tracks on the way here and a man that had to have been at least 50 gave me the middle finger oh shit <laughs> i'm sorry you were driving like an old man bud are you talking or that's I, I, he must have heard me talking yeah <laughs> he was listening to the good trash <laughs> That's the Dalton Stewart fellow. <laughs> you know the meanest bit of feedback. We, Barker. The meanest bit of feedback we ever got was a text message Alexander Bohannon got sent, which was that you know that Dalton guy sure is smart, but that kind of gets lost in the swearing sometimes. Oh my god! <laughs> which to, I have to say, hey man, get out of my fucking Kool Aid. <laughs> I'm very sensitive. That hurts my feelings. False. That's funny. Um, Arthur, have you done your number next pick? I have not. Let's go ahead and hear your number next pick. Uh, my next pick is going to be. Encore slash numb uh, from a collision course of Jay Z and Linkin Park nice. because as a young white uh, Midwestern male, uh, there is no better combination than Jay Z and Linkin Park. Dang! And that song is just—it's a great mashup, and it is unorthodox in in the pairing of Jay Z and Linkin Park. Uh, but it goes pretty hard, especially when we get to the uh, the numb drop, and uh, it's it's pretty fun. And and again, like Dalton said, I think it, it was formative to my youth, and and when I started driving, and and so it, it's got a really soft spot in my heart and i always go back to that one quite a bit all righty well thank you very much for that mr arthur gordon mr dalton stewart what is your number next pick well if you've been in a car with me anytime in the last three years or so it probably comes as no surprise to you that uh, i was going to pick a run the jewels track uh because they're usually That's on when i'm in the car a surprise no it's not a surprise at all but uh, i had to think which track and uh, it's got to be song one album one run the jewels by run the jewels from the album run the jewels <laughs> titular yeah it was the track that made me go holy shit who are killer mike and lp and why don't i know everything about them uh it's it's a great song um they did a song with uh, big boy and danger mouse uh just for uh this movie that's also very good but uh when i thought about it i was i had to go with that first track because that, that just the starting of that run run and it just like it builds and it builds and it's whoo it's so good uh i'm pretty sure that's what was on the playlist i was listening to when i got flipped off as a matter of fact but uh believe it yeah it just uh it'll light a fire within you and it's got a jackie brown reference which is delightful um yeah 
All right. Very, very good. Kill I'm, your masters, everybody. I like that very, very much. Uh, I'm going to move into the uh, genre of electronica. Nice. And, uh, so there's a band called Gatekeeper. They've got a track on uh, the guest film soundtrack called Storm Column, and it is fantastic. I also, almost went for some guests myself. Well, and uh, my copy of the guest that I have on uh, CD I actually got from Alex Bohannon. So thanks, Alex. You actually provided one of my favorite driving songs and really just driving records. If yeah. You just put the whole record on it. Just Absolutely. Perfect for that. Except for that one song. Is it Postman? Yeah, there's that one, like that weird. Uh, oh, lo- that, yeah. Uh, that, yep. ro- <laughs> that really ironic romance song. Yeah. That I just. It's like track six or something, because I'm like always like. <laughs> I, I, I last about three seconds, and I'm like, hard no. Yeah. Every time I it, give it a chance. It ain't track six, it's track skip. And, oh. Uh, that's what happens. Every time. I put that song on blast. I don't mind. Uh, okay, so number <laughs> last, Miss Alexander Bohannon. Number last. Okay, so I'm actually going to be super self-indulgent because I went across uh, all the things. Actually, from the Baby Driver soundtrack, it is Intermission by Blur, which is the song in which that big plot thing happens because we're not in spoilers yet. Um, But it's in the the big heist, and then it transitions into Hocus Pocus, uh, which has that uh, really sweet, uh, weird accordion and other strange, like, mouth instrument stuff. Um, But yeah, really, I mean... That intermission by Blur. Now I'm like a big Blur fan because of that song. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Alex, but the music video starring Noel Fielding, directed by Edgar Wright, that actually shows up on the TV at one point. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. So there's an Edgar Wright music video that actually was kind of the thesis statement mm-hmm. for Baby Driver. Ah. The, the Bell Bottoms number is uh, very similar to a music video he shot where Noel Fielding is the, drive, the getaway driver dancing in the car while everybody's inside doing the heist. Oh, okay, yeah. And I, I don't know if it's this Blur song, but I'm pretty sure it was a music video for a Blur song. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah. Um, basically, I mean, of course, like the entire soundtrack to Baby Driver is all of killer tracks, but uh, especially Intermission and then bonus Hocus Pocus because that transition in the film is seamless and then you're just like lead footing it, you know, as the acceleration and the cra- piano goes crazy and yeah, so good. Awesome, awesome. Thank you very much, Ms. Alexander Bohanna. Mr. Arthur Gordon, number last. What do you pick? Uh, I'm going to go with, uh, it's going to be Night Call by Kavinsky and Lovehawk. Hells to the yes! Uh, yeah, I was thinking right. about that, too. I love that song, and when I would work at Starbucks and have to be there at 5 in the morning, I loved driving at 4.30 in the morning and playing that song, and it is just a spiritual experience almost to have that those moments i love just driving around the car listening to music especially like like four in the morning yeah really late. yeah that, that ju- if it's raining yeah that just oh. going home or just going to work when there's nobody yeah. else outside yeah it's yeah. like the world is Dude, empty absolutely. and that the is the pavement perfect, is black perfect soundtrack for those moments so I, i'm gonna go with night call yes not a bad pick at all mr arthur gordon mr dalton stewart what do you pick for number last i much like arthur am also going to bring the tempo down a little bit for this last one this is the song that i i like to roll around to when I'm not driving fast, when uh, you just got the windows down, you want to feel the wind go through your hair. Uh, and that is Can You Get to That uh, by Funkadelic from Maggot Brain. Um, nice. I learned about this song. I'm a big uh, Sleigh Bells fan, and they sample this track um, on their first record. And uh, the first time I heard the song, I can't even remember where it was, but I was like, oh, that's what that sample is from? And it just the, the song just like hit me right where I lived. It's great. Lyrically, it's fun. There's a lot of... There's like seven singers on the on the track. Like there's a lot of different octaves happening. It's just a good funky song. That's cool. Yeah. 
All right. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. My number last pick is a bit of industrial music, a little Nine Inch Nails doing a cover of a Joy Division song. I'm talking about Dead Souls, which appears on the uh, Crow motion picture soundtrack. Oh. And it is off the chain. It is so I I love that track. I love how so, gothy all of your picks have been. Well, yeah, a little bit, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> you know who you are. Yeah. I, I, yeah, well, you know. Moody. I, so, some of us never leave high school. And uh, that, that part of my soul never did grow up. Uh, but there you go. We're leaving Never Never Land, and we're going to move on now, because it's time to get down to business. Yes, business. Yes, business time. I know what you're trying to say. You're trying to say it's Bringing you that spicy analysis right here, right now, to the film Baby Driver. So the first thing we want to talk about is the uh, Big E on the eye chart. There is something really interesting formally going on here. Um, now, Edgar Wright's gotten a lot of attention to the way in which he does this really, really intense continuity editing um, that's really bombastic and kinetic. But he does something else with it that is also musical. And uh, I'm going to actually just kind of pivot right to Alex right now because she knows some things and she knows some words. So tell us what's going on with this film and sure. why what Wright is doing is so amazing. Well, one thing that's really fascinating to me is that it blends the um, diegetic and non-diegetic music when in the film. Um, whenever you have music that is within the text of the film, meaning that our characters are playing it, it's on a movie screen. I mean, it goes diegetic, non-diegetic sound too. You know, things that our characters themselves can hear. Um, within the world. Um, and he uses that uh, principle so seamlessly. It's not just that, oh, this movie has a killer soundtrack. It's that the characters themselves in the film are enjoying the same sounds that we are. And, you know, watching Baby also have these extremely visceral reactions because he is so inclined to the musical persuasions. Um, you know, whenever Bell Bottoms hits and he's cranked it up to 11 and he's just rocking out in his car. I mean, it's just all of it is just so perfect. And the fact that the film itself is uh, cut to this, these tracks and it, and the characters hear the tracks. It's just also like seamless, and it blends together so well to tell the story, which is just so amazing. My favorite moment of that when it like really the soundtrack choices and the, and the story really do intersect is uh, when he's listening to the dams. Neat, neat, neat. Oh, I love uh, neat, neat, neat. You know the you know that armored truck heist is going to go poorly when he has to start the track all over again. Yes. Yeah. And oh, then so smart. when the track when the the heist really goes sideways. He has to back it up a little bit. He has to back mm -hmm. it up to resync what's happening with like his his mental soundtrack. And uh, there is a little bit of babies like neuroses that comes through. It's a good character moment, and it's a good moment of the film letting you know things are not going to go as smoothly as the last time you saw this. Yeah. Um, and it's that as you said, it, it isn't just there for you know for visual and audio flair. It does really inform the story and the pacing and the character a lot of the times. Right. Which I know um, you were. Wanting to talk about how that influence um, makes the genre of this film uh, kind of like an interesting point of discussion. Dustin. Yeah, yeah, and we're going to get to that here in a second. I want to say something though quickly, uh, Arthur. You mentioned at some point off mic or on one of the previous shows about how the editing is like choreography, uh, yeah. and, mm. and and there, there really is this really sort of dancey sort of component to the way in which the camera moves. And or cuts between shots again, yeah. cue to that music. Oh well, one of the things I was watching, I was watching some of the behind the scenes features off the off the Blu-ray, and uh, they've got some really interesting ones. But one of them is specifically about the choreography of this film. 
where all, all the scenes, all the driving scenes, all that stuff is choreographed to music. It's not a, we're going to shoot this and then put music over it. It no. is, what is the length of these songs, and how do we get these stunts done within this time frame and matching this beat? Uh, and, and the way characters get out of the car when they're, you know, counting the money to the beat or, you know, all those things. And so uh, and all these elements are really what, you know, some people might like Baby Driver musical. But when you're actually getting into it, the the way it's edited, the way uh, the characters are inter- interacting with that music and how they're having to um, stay on rhythm and stay on beat and stay on count to get all these things accomplished. And it's a lot like Les Mis in a lot mm-hmm. of ways, you know, mm-hmm. when they're doing that live singing on stage or on the set um, and having to stay on beat. There, uh, Baby Driver's doing a lot of that same stuff, and it's also the music. You, know, you guys have kind of already alluded to this, but the music is really uh, doing something else that a musical has to do because the the song numbers in musical have to act as an inner monologue or inner dialogue, right? And that's what a lot of these songs are doing in their content. When you know, Baby shows up at the diner with bats and uh, Ham, and uh, I can't think uh, the other girl's name. Eliana Gonzalez. Uh, Darling is her Darling. nickname. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forget what her her real Monica, name. Right? Yeah, Monica. Monica. Yeah, it's yeah. Monica. It's uh, but when they all show up button. there, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've got something's wrong with my baby playing in the background, right? So we've got mm-hmm. those kind of inner dialogue things happening with the music, uh, all of which I think reinforces this as musical. Well, the the or, best example of that I think is there's a reprise of Harlem Shuffle, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. the song that he's so happy about his successful heist in the opening of the movie. That song comes back in a much more slowed down key uh, after uh, the gun deal gone wrong, and Baby has realized this is not just fun and games. People are going to get killed. Yeah. Well, this raises the question, as Alex mentioned, and as you have just said, Arthur. This movie, I think, we would absolutely c- categorize it as a musical. However, there are no singing numbers, there are no dance numbers, there are no you know, there's no cast album, and some some of those kind of things. So, my question for for discussion for the group is this: What is the sin qua non? What without this, it's not that um, of a musical. What makes a movie a musical? Um, what is the minimum requirements, or is there a spectrum or a sliding scale? What do we think about if we're going to make a taxonomy of the genre? Uh, what makes a musical? When um, I was doing a lot of musical theater when I was um, in high school and in college a little bit, um, I remember a director told me once that a reason why a character sings on stage uh, under her purview um, for her the way she directs is that a character is so overcome with emotion that the only way that they can get the insides out is to sing what what's going on inside them or their situation. They're just so overcome with emotion or they need to process externally. And that, that would be my, because that is literally like they sing because they feel. And mm-hmm. that is the only, I think that's like the only piece. I mean, we don't, we don't really have singing, but we do have like whenever, uh, like, because we have like baby and his uh foster dad and you know he baby was kind of reared in this you know deaf world and so you know like i think that there there's some stuff there like it's like it gets kind of you know foggier i guess about like what what do you then constitute like singing like and because he does lip sync to some of some of the songs like in in expressing himself um yeah I, i yeah so that's that's one specific person that i've heard and i've actually used that rule before in my life but um by that like logic then it wouldn't be but that's like almost even too simplistic i think so the use of song as emotional exposition yeah well i mean if you use it that way like song is emotional exposition then that this movie totally qualifies i think she broke it down on like 
the idea that the characters are, themselves are singing. Like, uh, they must be they, singing. Yeah. yeah. But that's just one person's perspective. I, I think, uh, Dustin, you, as you said, uh, is there sliding scales or a spectrum here? And I think that's maybe the best way to contextualize it, right? Yeah. If we look at Les Mis from last week um, and say, that, well, that's, you know, the all singing, all feeling, all the time. And then we go look at something like... No Country for Old Men, where the complete and utter lack of the joy of music underscores kind of that film's nihilism. Uh, then where do we find Baby Driver in there? And I think because Baby Driver's music is not just there to make scenes more fun, but is fundamentally a huge part of the scene. As Arthur mentioned, you know, whole stunts were decided upon by the length of the tracks. You know, and a lot of the times this even happens in Across the Universe from a few weeks ago. They remixed a few of those songs. Uh, a few of those yes. Beatles tracks are not that long, and they had to lengthen them out for the scene. Right. That doesn't happen here. There is no, there's no cheating. Uh, and again, sometimes that's okay. Yeah, it, it is okay. They, they cheat on Hocus Pocus in the middle. Um, they slow it down like just a little bit, mm -hmm. just a little bit. But it, like, I mean, altogether, it like goes the rest of the way. Well, and again, yeah. And then the the Harlem Shuffle reprise yeah. is slowed down. But the only cheats are to underscore emotion, right? Mm -hmm. the exactly. Only, the only time the film cheats is when it's baby thinking about how this song has been recontextualized for him for whatever reason. Um, and, and I think that is why, you know, I don't think it's a cheat to call this a musical because all of the music does become so integral, not just to uh, character and, and really less character more than the beats of the film, the actual action beats. Yeah. And I think I finally got to where I was going with um, Baby kind of being reared in a deaf home. So, you know, because he's been taught, like he processes and externalizes through the use of song because he doesn't really have he doesn't have a need for verbal speaking he you know with his uh foster parent his foster dad so in that way i mean and that's why he like starts copying all those movie quotes like the monsters Inc. stuff and he's really just m doing all this mimicry but one way that he does like is able to feel holistically expressive not just like mimicking other people's stuff is through the song and that would be a great different idea. ipods for different moods right? exactly yeah, that's a, yeah that's a that's a great moment are you in a uh, pink sparkly, sparkly mood yeah. i am now <laughs> yeah so, so so there's an interesting thing that's that's a play that i was thinking about with this and again i don't have an answer is that th when there is dancing present we can sort of make a musical exception like we did with hairspray yeah mm -hmm. right so hairspray doesn't have any performed songs either but it's like rolling through the jukebox and all these dance numbers sort of give it that musical kind of quality of course les mis dancing per se i mean there is something like dancing that happens master of the house and some of those kind of little uh, heavily choreographed heavily choreographed bits but it's not really strong strong dancing right uh the choreography of this is done via editing and it is again sort of choreography via some stage action but it's yeah. a different kind of choreography the music itself is again jukebox diegetic stuff it is not like music in a film that's integral like uh, you know the use of you know, dropping you know a particular track into a Quentin Tarantino movie. Or well, let's let's talk about the worst example of this: uh, Suicide Squad, where there's bingo needle... fucking schwingo. I was going to yeah. cite that too. <laughs> yeah, needle drops for needle drops' sake, yeah, right? And yeah. this film doesn't do that. No. Okay, and I haven't seen that movie because you're welcome. I'm good to my eyes. Yeah, well, just like the just knowing on principle, like there because Suicide Squad was really trying hard to ape on Guardians and how like because Guardians does a great job of integrating yeah, the soundtrack right. within the film for emotive expression, and yeah. that's why you use it. But they just they literally were like, oh, let's mimic this because songs are good 
You know, like that's the the takeaway they got was like I like my music. Songs in my is movies. songs is good, yeah. Yeah, yeah. basically. I, so, but yeah, the use of songs in Guardians of the Galaxy, no one really makes an argument for Guardians being a musical, right? No. And so, th- what what is what is it specific about the use of songs and choreography? If one of those components was missing, is it a particular usage of songs? in combination with choreography that we have as in terms of like the sort of editing choreography that makes this movie a musical. I mean, again, I want to just sort of get down the, the brass tacks of how, why we're qualifying this. Well, I, I, I mean, if we keep using this Guardians kind of parallel, I think, you know, we've got these kind of two moments, I think, of in Gar- two or three moments in Guardians, especially in, at least the first film, um, where we've kind of got that emotional out, out or release through, you know, song. Uh, you know, he's with Gamora, they're dancing, and then there's the the heist he pulls at the beginning, and I think even with his mom, if I, at the beginning, I can't remember correct, off the top of my I head. I think you're right, I just yeah. watched it. Um, but uh, it says something about the film, maybe. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I think here with Baby Driver, the music is so integral to the baby character throughout, the, I mean, every scene in this film is driven by the music. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not just, you know, a moment here, a moment there, cherry-picked. It's driving the whole narrative. A different 70s hit song of similar thematic content could be easily substituted in Guardians as opposed to the, the picks that we yeah. have here. It would be a different movie if we changed the music with. Or yeah. removed or all Or you removed the music. Yeah. yeah. Or you removed it all yeah. together. And again, sometimes it's something as simple as turning a, a gunfight into one of the film's dance numbers, right? Yeah. That gunfight to tequila is... Every single thing that happens in that scene is cut to the beat. And if you re- put another song in there, it just wouldn't work. It yeah, would it feel weird. The cuts would the cuts would be off. Yeah. Because the the, the visual cuts are so yeah. synced up with uh, the musicality. Yeah. And I think that that is what it is. It's not that any single character is singing or dancing. Yeah. It is that the entire film is dancing with the music that has been uh, scored over it. Okay, so let me try to put these words in everybody's mouth, and then we'll move off of this point. Okay? Yeah. So the, the, so the good trash position as of now, uh, as the sin qua non of what makes a film a musical, is that if the music itself is a mode of emotional expression that also is part of action of characters on stage, it is integrated in such a way that is integrated both emotionally and is integrated in terms of character action, blocking, and editing. And if those things are present, then what you're looking at is a musical. If, if missing one of those components, then what you're looking at is maybe good music or maybe good editing, but not necessarily a musical. Are we saying this? I think that I is. I agree. I yes. feel like you're setting yeah. this up for a trap. No, I it's don't. It's like <laughs> my trap card. You, yeah. <laughs> no, but yeah, I agree. No, That's I, right. Yeah. Well, I, I asked a question I really did not know an answer to. Yeah. Well, and I just started thinking as you were talking about the definition. It's like, okay, what if you actually went to you went to a live theatrical performance that had music like basically it's like baby driver where music is so integral except nobody sang but they cut the you know like movements are timed to the music but it's just like the big the one thing that people will get upset about is that there's no singing i would still if i saw that stage performance i'd say yes that's a musical because like in a standard play that's not usually how the modus operandi is you know and, and the so difference like a ballet between, yeah well it'd be different from ballet yeah exactly lyrical content yeah that's a very good way to put it, I think, though, Alex, is, like, it, you would argue for that stage show still being a musical, and I think you're yeah. right. Yeah, because there's still, and, like, the speech component, too, although I haven't seen the Nutcracker in a long time. I can't remember if they talk. I don't know. I, I don't, don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah. I ballet is, like, ballet. ballet is super, is dance only. Yeah. 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 And, and no lyrical content. Yeah. yeah. 
All right. Well, there you go. The good trash. Uh, we've definitely weighed in. We've defined musical a genre. Uh, publish us now, and then and we'll uh, uh, move this on to the next. This would actually be hey. I, you know, Change let's donate donate these these ideas to your your graduate studies. Yeah, okay. Change that He's like, yeah, I'll probably pass. integrate this into your kung fu. Uh, you know, musicals and kung fu are very closely Hit related. Me. I'm just saying, Shit. fight movies and musicals are the same thing. <laughs> They're the same thing. It's all choreography. So John Wick's a musical. It, John Wick is a musical, it, sir. It, it, well, no, it doesn't have the same. Uh, it doesn't have the lyrical <laughs> musical content. But when it, Dalton comes back from his vacation, we can do John Wick and talk about it. It has the choreography <sighs> content. Okay, that's I, all I've wanted for so long. That, that it took so much longer than I planned on. I, I, I no, have it sev- several things I want to talk about. But totally. one thing I think we have to talk about, and I just feel like this, again, is very, very timely. And it is a thing that we've been dancing around you know, over the last three or four months on the show. But it is about the appreciation and the examination of art in, uh, in, in, in the wake of Me Too, right? Yeah, we've and, talked about it a couple times over the last few months. Yeah, and, and I, I really want to bear down a little bit on this because – This is the this, one to do it. This is a good movie that I really enjoy, and – Kevin Spacey. Who gives a good performance. He's not bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's gross and sucks. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, again, you know, we're making this podcast about this movie. You know, people might go out and watch this movie um, in preparation for the podcast. I don't know if anybody actually does that. But, you know, someone conceivably could do that. And how do we feel about that? And how do we feel about the consumption? I mean, again, just so, uh, as we, we've, we've still been ruminating on this for quite a while now, where are we at as of right now on the consumption of art and the problematic artist? Ugh. Well, I'm going to I'm going to recommend a, a movie later on to to pair with Baby Driver that uh, has a problematic artist. So, look, I th- I think what it comes down to is uh, and, and again, as we've kind of talked a little bit about uh, danced around a little bit over the last few months, um this is going to be a thing that happens sometimes. There's going to be something you really care about uh in which there is a problematic figure and uh, you know, uh, you got to you got to kill your mentors, you got to kill your masters. There are no heroes, there are no villains, there are just people. Sometimes people who made good art are also bad people. And it is your choice as to whether or not that art is ingrained. Is the bad person ingrained in that art? Have they ingrained a bad take in that art? Have they ingrained uh, malice into that art? If so, yeah, you probably don't need to watch that. Is a bad person in Baby Driver? Yes. Does that ruin the movie? If it ruins the movie for you, I understand. That's okay. I'm not going to take that away from you. Uh, If you feel guilty about wanting to watch Baby Driver, that I would say don't. It's okay. You can like Baby Driver still. It's fine. Do you need to come to terms with the fact that uh, you have to change the way you feel about Kevin Spacey? Yeah, probably. Uh, I, I I felt a lot less bad when his character got shot in this movie than the first time I saw. I'll tell you that much. Except for he got <laughs> shot heroically. Well, and, and that's and that's a weird thing that happens. I I will say this: it does change the film, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the first time I saw this movie before we learned about some of uh, Spacey's bad behavior in his uh, personal life. You know, uh, I, I was like, "Oh, wow, Kevin Spacey's getting to play a villain again." Uh, that's that's interesting. He hasn't done that a lot uh, prior to uh, you know between Usual Suspects and uh, um, House of Cards. He didn't play a lot of villains, with the exception uh, of, of real seven. life. I guess we should out. say seven in that. But yeah, with the exception of real life. So when he shows up in this film as a villain, it kind of threw me for a loop. And in the rewatch, yeah, it kind of makes sense that he's not great. Um, and it does change my perception of his character. It changes every scene that he's in. Um, but again, I, I don't think that is a, a, a besmirch on baby driver because film, you know, we, we're all about smashing authorial intent and, uh, 
you know, and uh, auteur theory here a lot of the time. And I, I think this is where that comes into play. Films are films are not about one person. Films are a community. Films yeah. are a collective work of art. That's why they're my favorite art form. Uh, one person paints a painting. A literal village of hundreds of people makes a film. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's why I, I think one of the best examples of response to this was Ridley Scott's response to Kevin Spacey being in All the Money in the World. Uh, he said, I'm not going to let this dickhead sink my movie that all these hundreds of other people put a lot of time and effort into. I'm getting rid of him. And then Christopher Plummer got nominated for an Academy Hell yeah, Award. he did, because yeah. Christopher Plummer is awesome. Yeah. yeah, and he got, I mean, and with the Ridley Scott thing, I mean, he wanted Plummer in the first place, which that's the part that kills really, me. But he really couldn't. funny. Yeah, and so it's like he, the universe, like... I mean, by him being a good guy and being like, no to rapists, like, I get, he gets the thing he wants, the guy gets an Academy Award, and that movie made a crap ton of money, so it's like, he, you know, like, make a stand, and some, and, it, and sometimes it can be really hard and challenging and awful, but sometimes it will, re- life will reward you if you take a stand. I, I think uh, the the best antithesis to this, like if Baby Driver's still okay, what's not okay? Now I'm probably not going to ever watch Bill Cosby himself okay. ever again. I was actually going to bring up Cosby yeah. because of, you know, yeah, the trial. Week, yeah. Um, but yeah, there's actually a really good uh, deep dive on the Cosby show in America, like, you know, in the that era and then in the wake of... Um, the, the allegations, of course, you know, the fact that he did it and then the fact that he's guilty and, you know, going to go away for a long time. Um, so the fact that the Cosby show at the time, of course, I wasn't alive when the Cosby show was literally on network TV. But, uh, you know, for black communities, it was empowering to see, you know, this affluent African-American yeah. family and everyone has like everyone's, you know, working together. We've got a mom, you know, the doctor and a lawyer. And it's like it's great, like great stuff. Everyone's like this is that's the first demonstration of that and the power of representation and media and like seeing like these really positive things. But then this specific article, you should definitely go watch to it, uh, listen to it because it it'll be much more informative than this little synopsis. But basically, since that point, though, um, this particular commentator is bringing up, well, okay, he has not been, if that was like the paragon of him being supportive of, you know, African-American black communities, like it has only nosedived since then with like his support of like, well, just besides just being a terrible, god-awful human being, just like him coming on the side of like, just really gross like being an immoral and authority on yeah, shit like pull please, up your pants and yeah crap that, like that that stuff like yeah. and just really doubling down on on stuff that isn't isn't helpful uh, asserting that. himself as a, a moral authority when clearly he was not exactly. and also asserting himself as a moral authority on things that were superfluous and silly yeah exactly so uh, i think that's a that's a really good antithesis to this because like that's a thing that show for you know me personally and i can't speak for anyone else would always probably always be a hard watch and never gonna revisit that one just because of he's the, he is the guy yeah and that's, that's why <laughs> yeah. i went for his stand-up special himself i have fond memories of that. i watched that with my family yeah, when it, i was a kid it's really funny yeah yeah it's a great stand-up special made by a bad person and when it comes to somebody when we're talking about a stand-up special that is that person's art that yeah. is an expression of themselves made by themselves and that is kind of where the line is different right because when yeah. we're talking about a film and again this is a film stand up special so you could make the argument it's a film but 
Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and say no. It's I mean, he course. drove all of the content. Well, and I, exactly. Yeah. And that's it. He drove every aspect of it creatively because it's a film stand-up set. And I think what you guys are discussing right now is, is sort of where I arrived, I think, in the course of thinking about this. Is it's got to be sort of a case-by-case basis yeah. that you have to deal with these yeah. kinds of things. That I had never seen Baby Driver. And so this is my first time watching it for this uh, film oh. podcast. Oh, yeah, okay. And, uh, again, I liked it, and, but it was after I knew all those things about Kevin Spacey. Yeah. I kind of wanted worse things to happen to him mm-hmm. as a result. And I my viewing was colored. And so there, there there's a way in which you have to just sort of be aware and reckon with those things as you partake and participate in those kinds of media. And then you have to be able to sort of put on two different kinds of hats. Like I can put on a hat where I'm like, okay, I'm going to evaluate this as a piece of art. Uh, what does it do? How is it doing it? To what extent is it successful? Um, then always I think you have to talk sometime about just this person is terrible and this terrible thing is a thing that's not okay. And then you have to – you can have a case-by-case sort of a, a way in which you deal with certain things. It's like I don't ever want to see Harvey Weinstein work again. If he made another movie, I wouldn't see it. I will probably watch Pulp Fiction again some point in my life. And I, that, that I'm making those two different distinctions. But I will still say Harvey Weinstein's a terrible person, and if I have any conversation yeah. about it, it's going to begin, first of all, this guy's a dirtbag. After all, now we can talk about his you know, role in production in the film in the, in the 90s in the United States and whatever else we need to talk about. And that, it's, it, and that each individual needs to have a little bit of space to be able to make those decisions because I know some people who will never see a Harvey Weinstein film again, and I think that's fine. And I think there's nothing wrong with them. And it's not like, well, if, you know, if it bothers you, you know, like if you're a weaker or, you know, you're less, you know, whatever, you know, intellectually able to set that aside, which is sort of the, the corny way in which some of the elites sort of approach that. I think that, that that's malarkey, too. Yeah, no. It, and I've there are definitely people I've heard express it that way. And it's like, no, man, look. Let people consume what they want. Jesus yeah. Christ. You're, like, you're, yeah, you're, you're allowed to be a serious film consumer and not ever want to watch a Birth of a Nation. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck it. Yeah, you I know mean, what? Fuck that movie. Absolutely. I don't care how important it is. I'm never going to watch it. It's, it's Well, you know, it, I mean, I will probably show bits of it, you know, the rest of my career. But yeah. I'm not going to show the whole thing anymore. Yeah. You know, and uh, and there are going to be bits where Tarantino is going to be part of that conversation still because of what he does, does with Django Unchained. Uh, but that being said, it's all going to begin. And we're also seeing throughout this the narrative of these predatory men in Hollywood. And as long as that sort of narrative of uh, male predation is discussed, I think, and highlighted and not just, you know, it was swept under the rug as it has been over the years. I, I, I think then it becomes a responsible way to consume that kind of media. It, it fundamentally becomes part of how you analyze a piece of film. It just can't. It can't be something you pay lip service to. Um, I'm glad we did talk about Kevin Spacey. I know uh, I, I was I was wondering if we were going to, and I'm glad we did. Uh, but yeah, you're right. It has to fundamentally change the analysis of a work you're doing, yeah. uh, especially if it's you know coming from a creative level uh, where, where there's a bad actor at, at that high of a level making creative decisions. So we don't want to paint, you know, uh, right with that brush. We don't want to paint any of the acting cast, yeah. the rest of the cast with that brush. But we also have to not just let it be. So, oh, yeah, and uh, by the way, Kevin Spacey did some bad things. We don't want to do that either. You know, not just say that. We have to, We have to. you know, engage with the, the I mean, we history. can engage with, uh, you know, John Hamm, who I love a lot, uh, both in this film, basically everything he's ever done, apparently did a, a, a real bad bully uh, when he was in college mm. uh, that other people, like, got expelled for. And he uh, very quietly uh, left the university and went to another one, um, you know. Whether and that, that isn't something that's really come into the forefront. It was a kind of a very news of the day thing one time. Um, 
and you have to engage with that, and I don't know enough about it to speak to it, but uh, if that upsets you when you think about uh, John Hamm, yeah, it's probably something that we we come to a point where uh, when an artist did something that's in their past that uh, th- there has been a fundamental showing of growth and change as a person, do they have an obligation to address something from their past? I say maybe, yeah, if it comes up. Maybe, but maybe not. But maybe not. Maybe it's a hard thing to talk about, uh, your your past when you were a person that uh, – you no longer identify with. I, I know that no one in this room and no one listening in any of the rooms in which this podcast is playing wants to be defined by the single worst thing you ever did. And uh, that's, you know, I yeah. mean, you don't want that to be the thing yeah. that defines you. And I, and I think uh, w- the reason we call Kevin Spacey a piece of shit is because he, uh, he chose uh, his outing as a bad actor to uh, come out as, uh, as a gay person. Uh, not, the, not the time, Kev. Not the Oof. time, bro. Kind of feels like you're deflecting, huh? Uh, oh God! I forgot that was a thing. And that's why man. that's what makes me mad. Uh, yeah. If if the statement had been more like, "Yeah, I was going through some shit, and I was a gross person, and uh, I'm going to figure out a way to make amends to these people I've hurt, and I'm going to go away for a while," this is a different story. Yeah. But because the story is one of face saving and deflection, that is what you know. A bad act doesn't make a bad actor. A bad life makes a bad actor. Right. And choosing not to reconcile uh right. is what causes somebody to uh not be somebody i want to be emotionally invested in anymore absolutely absolutely all righty well there's a whole lot more going on with baby driver that we could be talking about we are sort of running short on time is there anything that is deeply piercing your mind go ahead no no go for it what, well, well i was just gonna say that dalton brought up the dad's role models thing yeah I don't know if that's something we wanted to talk to or I mean, I just love the idea of surrogate fathers yeah. and, and, and the sort of uh, obscene surrogate fatherhood that we find out of Kevin Spacey's character. Well, not only Kevin Spacey, but also Buddy. Buddy. Yeah. yeah. Buddy. Mm-hmm. Baby sees Buddy as who he could be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that that is why it makes way more sense for Buddy to be the villain than Bats or uh, Doc. Yeah. Buddy is the villain of this film because Buddy is who Baby will become if he stays on this road. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Sorry. Buddy, yeah. So ba- baby sees a love. Yep. Baby sees a love in this world, and he sees a love that is toxic and is nothing like the love he has, and it's not the love he wants. He wants to have a normal life with Deborah, and when Deborah gives him that moment of, we can be buddy and darling, he goes, "I no, we don't want that. Trust me. I just watched it happen. I promise you this is not what we want. Yeah. Um, I know that's going to easily segue into the into the epilogue, but a real quick thing, because talking about the perverse families type of situation, because if, you know, baby's literal name is B-A-B-Y baby, I mean, it is like the, a small child, an infant, you know, mm-hmm. and he has, you know, this, you know, he has two paternal figures in this little weird fucked up clan. And then he has, you know, darling and it and it really goes into um goes into like more of the archetypical family where it's like you have to kind of i mean in this it's like the literal killing of your parents to like move forward with your own identity well he's chosen the nickname baby right yeah he's infantilized himself exactly and then the fact we he like he goes to jail and then it's like he grows up and that's when we learn his real name and it is at the end of all of that that we do we learn his real name his real identity and he finally comes on to his own as an, an individual autonomous of his own, you know, family and neuroses. Yeah. He has to make the choice too. And that's one thing that I like that Edgar Wright uh, chose to do. And, um, we'll talk about this a little bit more when we get to Elser instead, but I like that Edgar Wright makes a choice, uh, of, of a third way ending heist movies in with a clean getaway or everybody dead. And he did his best. And yeah, the, the epilogue is a little neat. It's a little clean probably, but I, I think it's interesting because I can't think of very many heist movies that end with a character trying to 
get redemption through an admission of their bad deeds. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and to Alex's point, with the, the thematic thread she's pointing out, I think this is where it ties back into the Cornetto trilogy, and it does tie back into Scott Pilgrim. It is Arrested Development. It yeah, is. Yeah. stuff, yeah. 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 And then Baby's stuck in this, this circular mode of uh, thinking about his life, and it, it's taking him to break out of that and, and taking the uh, authority to get out of that and move on with his life. Yeah. Hell yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, that's some good stuff, guys. Yeah, yeah. it was really great, I, y'all. I love me some uh, analysis on some good trash. So we just did that thing. We now do the thing we do next, which is render a verdict. Shelf or trash, else or instead. I go to you first, Dalton Stewart. What do you say? Shelf or trash, else or instead? I'm going to say shelf. It's one of the great uh, car movies. Uh, it came out of nowhere. It didn't come out of nowhere. I followed the production of this movie for a couple of years. Uh, but uh, when it hit theaters last summer, it really did cement itself as a great heist movie a great driving movie uh and for that alone for looking at edgar wright one of uh, our most uh exciting and enjoyable contemporary filmmakers uh a filmmaker we'll all be talking about long after he stops making movies i suspect um for that alone i think it's shelfable uh it's something worth watching what should you pair with it well you got to pair the end all be all the first the granddaddy of all great car movies bullet starring steve mcqueen uh nice. and that fucking car chase through the streets of san francisco Ugh, it's it's a joy to watch to this day. And and the fact that uh, the first car chase shot on real streets with real drivers came out of the gate that clean, that smooth, that well put together, the first time anybody done it, it's amazing. Uh, if you have not seen Bullet or haven't seen it in a long time, you've got to go revisit it because it, it'll blow your mind. It, it just really does. The film itself is okay, but, man, that car chase uh, really does set the tone for every car chase to come thereafter. Uh, one of the other great car chases from just a few years prior to this, talking about problematic actors, or uh, rather pro- problematic artists, uh, Quentin Tarantino's Death Proof, uh, which is a film that's much more interesting when you uh, consider uh, Stuntman Mike as a uh, author surrogate for Quentin Tarantino, a, uh, a bad actor, a bad artist whose art is causing pain to women. Um, yeah, I, I don't think uh, I, whether... Consciously or subconsciously, I think Stuntman Mike is a author insert character. Um, and, and I think the fact that it ends up being a film fundamentally about uh, a bunch of stunt women killing this guy that's trying to kill them, made by a director who almost killed his lead actress while making Kill Bill, it's some wild shit, man. Um, and it's one of the great car chases. It's a 20 minute long car chase that'll uh, melt your face off with uh, Zoe Bell hanging off the front end of, a, of the hood of that Challenger, man. It's wild, and uh, it holds up. Uh, the last time we watched it for this show, um, which was a couple of years ago now, it, it blew blew my mind. It's still great, and uh, it was made by a bad person. So uh, I, I think if you really want to, the question uh, of Kevin Spacey and Baby Driver, if you really want to take that to the next level and wrestle with that even further, I think Death Proof is a really interesting film to pair with Baby Driver. Uh, last but certainly not least, I'm going to uh, recommend an episode of The Canon, uh, Amy Nicholson's podcast, um, where uh, Edgar Wright was on uh, promoting Baby Driver, but also talking about the film Driver, the inspiration for Baby Driver, and talking about uh, if, if you really want to get uh, some insight on what Edgar Wright thinks about the film that uh, he and his team made, uh, it is very interesting because he talks a lot about how Driver relates to Baby Driver and how his love of that film informed the kind of car chase movie he wanted to make uh, and the kind of heist movie he wanted to make. I think it's really great to kind of help contextualize Baby Driver in the lineage of car films. 
Alrighty, well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what do you say? Shelf or trash, and what else or instead? I'm going to shelf it. I, I, I greatly appreciate it. I enjoy it, and I've shelved all of his films, and we are six for six for right on this podcast, and so uh, here we are. Um, else, I'm going to say Badlands, uh, Terrence Malick's uh, nice true crime film. Uh, there's a lot, I think, of uh, Baby and Deborah and, and uh, oh, Sheen. Sissy's and, basic. Uh, Sissy's, Mark, uh, yeah. Uh, but uh, especially aesthetically, I think uh, there's a lot of connection there, and so I think that pairs well, and it's just a really solid film. I'd also say uh, the neat, neat, neat sequence uh, where the camera stays in the car while they're pulling the heist reminded me a lot of Will Man, uh, which we watched uh, last year, uh, the Frank Grillo Netflix original, uh, which is just a fun little uh, car action movie. At least me and Dalton thought so anyway. Uh, but That's lastly, okay. uh, I've got to say... Uh, you and I just love that Frank Grillo. We do. Uh, you know, I was thinking... I, I, I kept thinking Frank Grillo is kind of like uh, the brother from another mother of uh, John Bernthal. Uh, they have a lot of similarities and look looks very similar and okay. t- take similar roles. John Hamm, Frank Grillo, and John Bernthal in a movie where they're brothers. It's a remake of uh, Three Men and a Girl. Three Men and a Baby? Yeah. Oh God, yeah! Three minute of baby That's with really Grillo, Barenthal, and Ham. But they got to beat somebody up. I think I've. I think I just realized how much I've confused uh, John Ham and John Barenthal. <laughs> seeing them together in this movie. Like I'm no, I'm just like thinking of them in, your head. in my head. I'm like, oh, huh. <laughs> also, uh, Grillo, Barenthal, and Ham sounds like a really odd uh, law firm. Um, <laughs> so there's that. Uh, but lastly, I've got to say, Drive. I, yeah, I think yeah, there are yeah. so many, you know, similarities here you know, narratively that it, it just is an interesting pairing with it. And Baby is really kind of an interesting take on that driver character yeah. that uh, – let's tease this out. What kind of person becomes this uh, this guy that insists – I love that the film undercuts Baby insisting he's the serious, quiet guy, right? Yeah. yeah. I love that it undercuts the character that uh, Gosling is in that movie. Yeah. yeah, it's perfect. Nice. All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Ms. Alexander Bohannon, what say you? Shelf or trash? And what else or instead? Uh, definitely a shelf. I have it on my shelf. I insisted on being on this show. Obviously, I like this she movie did. a lot. So it came in like bats. I did. Right? Like bats. Um, so I would also recommend, obviously, everything everyone else has said. It's really fantastic. You should check that out. Um, I would recommend strongly for you, if you are into um, the process of this film and if you liked hearing about um, him cutting, cutting and shooting to music and it being choreographed. Watch Baby Driver with the commentary track specifically. Not just like there's there's two. He has one just Edgar Wright and then one with Edgar Wright and his DP. Um, definitely that one because that gets in the insight of like, oh, you know, here's some like industry stuff. But also, you know, here's the process in which we did this thing for the music and then blah, blah, blah. Um, so that was really cool. Definitely check that out. Um, other recommends, of course, the Coronado trilogy in space. I mean, obviously Wright's entire oeuvre. And then for more con- um contemplating like the perverse like um assembled family i would definitely go for uh terminator 2 because uh besides like a really dope lots of some dope ass car chases in there you know motorcycles semis whatever i mean we also have like the concept of the surrogate father and like how i mean of course in that one surrogate father's the hero but i know now why you cry 
Oh. Oh, we feel all the feels. And the thumbs up all around the studio, dear listener, <laughs> just to inform you of the visual that's going on on the audio channel. Thank you very much for that, Miss Alexander Bohan. And I'm also going to say Shelf. I like this movie a lot. And I think it's worth checking Yay. out and seeing again. Uh, what else should you watch? You should watch Gone in 60 Seconds because yeah. it's just so silly. Oh, and it's ridiculous. And fun. All right, so Donnie. Get all Donnie. And and then yeah, the integration of music there is really interesting and, and interesting in play. Also, the use of uh, a vehicle being uh, the vehicle that moves a film and lots of lip syncing. I'm looking at you, The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Oh, I'm shit. I'm telling you what, if you oh, triple bill, Gone in 60, Baby Driver, and Priscilla, a, and have uh, fun people with you with whom to have a conversation, that is a party, y'all. Dude. And if you do it, invite me. I'll come. And uh, it'll be a good time uh, for everyone. So there you go, dear listener. Those are our recommends. Your syllabus just got longer. I hear we're going to do one more show. They keep telling me we're going to do one more show. And, uh, I won't be here, though. Yeah, Dalton's going to be on uh, I'm not sabbatical. doing any more shows. Uh, it is his oh. last show. Uh, no, been, it's not. I'll be oh, back. I like legit got sad. I, I know we even discussed this we, bit earlier. We, <laughs> we, we, no, we I'll just be out of town next we, week. We couldn't pry this show from his cold, dead mouth. Um... <laughs> But uh, we might be able to find us a fill-in guest host next week, I think. Um, and you know what I always dreaded? What did you always dread? Prom. Right? There's yeah. a lot of anxiety prom around the, prom. I took my kid to a dance this last week. And Old. Traumatic. Traumatic stuff. It can be very traumatic. And yeah. we're going to find out just how wrong prom can go next week when we revisit or visit uh, Brian De Palma's Carrie. Yeah, That's right, dear listener. It's going to be the wrongest of the proms, and we're going to be having a good time talking about that. Um, so stay tuned for that. And again, just be watching movies with people. That's what we want to have happen. We want you to watch films and have conversations. You keep uh, watching. We'll keep talking, and we'll see you all next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Good Trash Genrecast. The Good Trash Genrecast is a product of Good Trash Media. For more info on all things Good Trash, head on over to goodtrashmedia.com. Our intro music is an original composition by our friend Aaron Rodgers, and our outro music this week is Brighton Rock by Queen. Tell me when you stay, tell me to be brave, nothing in any come between us, tell me love what you say.